This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for June 23rd, 2013. The Gospel is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Oftentimes when we think about meeting God, we tend to think about it in, in big terms, you know, sort of like Charlton Heston type things, you know, parting of the Red Sea and all. And, and we think that if you encounter God, that it would be something that would be a powerful moment and that's um, dynamic and great things happen. And frequently when we want to meet God, it's because we want great things to happen. In today's Old Testament lesson and the Gospel lesson, we have two stories about encounters with God juxtaposed to one another. The first story from the Gospel is the story of Jesus' traveling to the land of the Gerasenes, also known as the Gadarenes and one of the other, but it's just the way it got translated into English letters. But it's, it goes to this town, and it says he went across the Sea of Galilee to this place. Now, say he went across is a little... It sounds like he took a long sea voyage or something, which is, number one, the Sea of Galilee isn't a sea, it's a lake. It's not even that big of a lake. It's a good-sized lake, but it's not huge. And uh, number two is that the Gerizines, their area where they lived was on the northeast side of the sea. And where Capernaum was, was on the due north side of the sea. So basically, he just cut off the corner and went across. And when he gets there, the first thing that he sees is a guy, dirty, running around naked. That's got to be lots of fun. And apparently this guy had been possessed by a demon. And so he, he was wild. I mean, he was like a wild animal, literally. And when Jesus saw him, he told the demon to leave him. And what did the demon do? Did anybody notice that? Well, that's not the first thing he did. First thing he says, he says leave me alone. Which is always interesting. We tend to think Jesus says this and the demon goes, oh, oh, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. I gotta go, I gotta go. That didn't happen. Instead, the demon argues with him. And then when the demon realizes that, that Jesus is gonna get the better of him, that he has power over him, because interestingly enough, at this point, it's only the demons who know who he is. He's the son of the most high God. And so when they realize that, then they start bargaining. But, well, I tell you what. We might leave if we had a place to go. What about those pigs over there? Could we go into those pigs? Because we don't want to go back into the abyss, the nothingness. And so Jesus said, fine, go in the abyss. You know, go into the pigs. You don't want to go in the abyss. Except that he's got a slight caveat to that that they aren't aware of. And that's that what the pigs are going to do when they get a demon. So the demons all leave this, this man, legion, and they enter into this herd of, of pigs. And the pigs, it says, run towards the sea and off of the cliff. Now, if you go to that area of the Sea of Galilee, you'll see that the Sea of Galilee is kind of like a big bowl, but in that particular area, there's a drop-off. And so you could literally see where they would run and just fall off the cliff. So while Jesus was saying, yeah, you can go into the pigs, he, he didn't bother to mention fact, but the pigs are going to get really hyper and, and they're going to run into the sea. And by the way, pigs don't swim. <laughs> Huh? Or fly. <laughs> so they lost anyway. But what's interesting is the reaction of, of the swine herds. That's a great title, isn't it? Swine herds. 
How many people aspire? I'd like to be a swine herd when I grow up. I mean, <laughs> you just don't hear that very often. But what, what do they do immediately? No? No, they go do something else first. Well, not all of it, but into, they ran into town to get reinforcements. They wanted help. Because clearly this guy's got some real mojo going on. And he doesn't want to mess with them. And so they run into town and get the townspeople to come out. And the townspeople come out, and there they see this man who had been possessed by many demons sitting there fully clothed, having a conversation with Jesus. And what was their reaction? How did, how did they respond? They were terrified. Wasn't that interesting? Wouldn't you think they'd be glad? They would think, oh, that's really good news. He's been delivered from these demons. That's great. He's healed them. He's doing well. Instead, it says that they're terrified and they want something from Jesus, which is leave. Go away. Now, why would they want him to go away? These are Gentiles. They're not Jews. Jesus is clearly a Jew. And if you are a swineherd, then chances are pretty good you're not Jewish. Because what would they do with the pigs? I mean, there wouldn't be anything to do with them. So, and he has destroyed their entire flock. Now, Jews and Gentiles don't get along. And so they're afraid. Because this guy's obviously powerful. And they just want him to go away. Just leave. And yet here we are with a a powerful manifestation of of the power of God. And rather than responding to it in any kind of positive way, what the human beings in this case do is say, go away. You know, don't don't stay here. We don't like this. Now you contrast that to the story of Elijah, which we have in the Old Testament today. A little bit of background, just catch up on what Elijah's been up to up to now. Elijah is a prophet appointed by God, and he's been out and about. And one of the missions that he is on is to let Ahab, who is the king of the northern ten tribes of Israel, know that he has become apostate. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but leaders of great countries tend not to like it when people call them names. Um, they don't like it at all. Well, and in this case, he's apostate because of who he married. Anybody know who he married? Jezebel. I mean, there's just nothing good about somebody named Jezebel, is there? Nobody names their kid Jezebel. I mean, I mean, it's just bad. And yet, here she is, Jezebel. And Jezebel has brought in to um, Israel, the northern ten tribes, into Samaria, the, the worship of Baal, which shouldn't surprise us terribly because her name is Jezebel. Yeah, so that's her god. And the people, because the king and queen are now worshiping the god Baal, start worshiping Baal too. And so, you know, Elijah's been denouncing this all along, but he's not getting anywhere. And then he finds out, he learns something from the Lord, that there was a vineyard next door to the palace where Ahab lived, and Ahab really wanted that vineyard. Bad. So Jezebel, being the good, dutiful wife that she is, says, well, just take it. He's nothing. I mean, he's a peon for crying out loud. They said, well, I can't just take it. He owns it. Well, have him killed and then take it. (laughs) Eminent domain. And so he does that. And so Elijah denounces Ahab and Jezebel for this in public and embarrasses them terribly, which really ticks Jezebel off to no end. So 
she starts more and more persecuting the prophets. So finally, Elijah calls the prophets of Baal to a duel. Dueling gods. They show up on on Mount Carmel, not the hospital, the one in Israel. It's a mount. Um, And there's a creek down below that you can still see there today. And he goes there and he says, let us each build an altar. And what we will do is we'll get two heifers, we'll quarter them, and we'll put their parts up on the altar, and we will call upon our own God to come down and consume with fire the offering that we give. And whoever's God does this is the winner. So the prophets of Baal go, well, all right, because I mean, what's the chances that he's going to be successful? So they do all that, and they're all hooping and hollering and dancing, you know, doing their bail thing, and, and going on and on and on. And I just, just stand back watching them. Huh. After about an hour, he goes, gee, your God seems to have been delayed. Do you think maybe in the scriptures it says, do you think perhaps he has turned aside? Now, that's a euphemism in Hebrew, which means, do you think he had to go to the bathroom bad and couldn't make it? Well, needless to say, Jezebel and the prophets of Baal weren't real happy with this. And so they, well, you're so good, you do it. And so he goes, okay. So he tells some people, go down and get some buckets of water. I want you to come, I want you to soak down the, these quarters that I've done of this heifer really good. I want, them, I want them drenched in water. So they go down the creek, get the water poured over, just get it soaked. And he says, oh, Lord, most high, accept this offering we give to you in the honor of your name. Whoosh, fire comes down, it's gone. And Elijah does a Snoopy dance. I win, I win, I'm good. What's Jezebel's response to that? She puts out a contract on him. She wants him dead. She's offered money for someone to kill him. And so he runs away because he's afraid for his life. You know, you would think that would have been the end of it, but no. So he's running for his life. And he's running and running and running. And finally, he can't run anymore. He's just exhausted. And he sits down under a tree and starts pouting. And have you ever noticed that when God does things and they don't work out the way we want, how often we pout? Why me? What did I do? I didn't deserve this. And how awful it is. You remember anybody else in Scripture that sat down under a tree? Actually, it was a sunflower. Jonah, what was he doing? Outing, yeah. You save the. I knew you'd save those people. I knew that was going to happen. And so eventually he falls asleep. He just wants to die. He says, I want to be like my ancestors. All his ancestors are dead. I just want to be like that. I want to be dead. And so an angel comes and says, Wake up! Eat! Drink! And looking for him here, on the stones, which are that hot, have been baked um, wheat cakes. And there's water. So I'll tell you a little bit of how hot it gets in the desert. And so he goes, all right. So he eats and drinks. He goes back and says, I didn't do it. I'm going back to sleep. I just want to be dead. So a little bit later, he gets woken up again. Wake! Get up! Eat! Drink! You're going to need this for the, to sustain you through the wilderness. And so he eats and drinks. And then the angel tells him to go to the mountain of the Lord, Mount Horeb. And he goes for 40 days and 40 nights. Does this remind you of anyone? Hmm. Forty days and forty nights he wanders through the wilderness without eating or drinking. And finally he arrives at Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai, by the way, um, which is also where Moses had gone to get the Ten Commandments, to have it out with the Lord. Because he has been doing his part. And the Lord has not been helpful whatsoever. 
Yeah, he had a nice meal on the heifer, but that was it. I mean, now they're trying to, they've killed all the other prophets, now they're trying to kill him. And so he has a speech prepared, and we know it was a speech prepared because he give it, gives it twice verbatim. I think he must have pulled it out of his pocket and unrolled it. Because first of all, an angel appears and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? I have been zealous for the Lord, he says. Immediately he starts telling them, you know, I've done all this, and now they're trying to kill me. All right, well, I tell you what, the Lord's going to pass by here in a minute. Now, the Lord has passed by this mountain before. Does anybody remember when that was? Moses, yeah. Remember Moses was up there, and he said he wanted to see the face of the Lord, and the Lord said, if you looked upon my face, you would die. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to do what? Hmm? Yeah, I'm going to show you my backside. That's literally what I said. I'm going to show you my backside. The only instance in all Scripture where God mooned anybody. Uh, and, it, and it was Moses. And here Moses is. And, and what happens to Moses as a result of this? Hmm? His face glows for the rest of his life. Which tells you why in the song Ray Stevens said, Don't look, Ethel. Um, anybody's old enough to remember that song? Does anybody remember the streak? Or am I way too old? You know? But his face glowed. He had to wear a veil over his face because it terrified people so badly because he glowed all the time. And so Elijah knows this, and he's in this cave, and he's waiting for the Lord. And along comes a mighty wind, so mighty that rocks are flying and splitting and on the mountain, and they're just going all over the place. Does this remind you of anything? A tornado. Now, when did we see a tornado in Scripture before? Now, think, think Charlton Heston. <laughs> the Red Sea. During day, the day, God led them of a, by a pillar of cloud. Now, that wasn't just a nice little fluffy flume. It was a tornado. It was a whirlwind. And so, but God wasn't there, was he? In that mighty wind. Well, that's kind of odd, because... You know, he'd done that before, so where was he? Well, he wasn't in that. So the next thing that happens is an earthquake. The whole earth starts shaking. And I have to tell you, being on a mountain in a cave during an earthquake is not the best place really to be. But And, and earthquakes were also considered ways in which you knew that God was present because even the, the Psalms tell us that the earth trembles before him. It quakes. But God wasn't there either, was he? Well, all right. So then comes a great fire. Now, do you remember fire? Burning bush, but a great fire. The pillar of fire, which is what God led the Israelites by night with, was a pillar of fire. But God wasn't in that either. Now, those all seem strange because they're all classical manifestations of the presence of God. You know, anybody, any Jew would have known this, and certainly a prophet like Elijah would have known it. Heck, even in seminary, we got to learn fancy words for it, like theophany. You all say that? Theophany? Now you can go tell everybody you're very smart, because you can say theophany. It means manifestation of God. But, um, but God is present in those things because they're mighty and powerful. But God wasn't there. And then there is nothing but silence. Sheer silence is how it's translated here. In the, in the absolute silence of the moment, God is present. Not in the mighty earthquake, not in the fire, not in the, in the mighty winds, but in the silence. And so finally, 
Elijah is going to get to meet God. And so what does he do? Anybody remember what the story says he did? First thing he did. Remember what happened to Moses? He covered his face up. Yeah, he wouldn't, didn't want to go back out in the world ever by avoiding him. So he covers his face up so he can't see God. And he goes out of the cave ready to confront this God who has not been doing his part. And God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? That must have been comforting for Elijah, by the way, after traveling for 40 days and 40 nights and fasting in the wilderness. But what are you doing here? Now, why would God ask him what he was doing there? Where's he supposed to be? When you were in school, did you ever get caught somewhere where you weren't supposed to be? The teacher said, what are you doing here? Because you were supposed to be in class, right? He was supposed to be where? In Samaria. With Jezebel and Ahab telling him, straighten up, fly right, or the Lord's going to get you. But here he is. And so he pulls out his prepared remarks. I have been zealous for the Lord, he says. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it all before, God says. And so he gives him the exact same spiel. You know, I've been zealous for the Lord, and all that happened now, that was they killed your other prophets, and now they're trying to kill me too. And you can tell the unspoken part of that is, so what are you going to do about it? And so what does God tell him? Go back, except now i got an extra job for you. <laughs> says, go back, and on your way, I'd like for you to stop by, and anybody knows where it was? Damascus, because there's a fellow there named Hazael, and I want you to anoint him as the king of Israel. Well, that's going to make him real popular with Ahab. <laughs> and he finds out, oh good, he's appointed at somebody else as the king. Now, if you were Elijah, and you had all these horrible things happen to you, somebody was trying to kill you, and, and what God says, well, go, go on back, as a matter of fact, commit treason on the way. What would your response say? Oh, sure, no problem. And it's only 40 days and 40 nights back through the wilderness <laughs> to get there. And then I got to walk all the way I walked to before I got to the wilderness. But I mean, you'd be perfectly willing, right? And yet, here he is terrified he's going to be killed. But something had changed. And that's that the Lord had spoken to him. He had encountered the presence of the living God in a still, small silence. Now that tells us something about the nature of God. Both of those stories do. One of them is that all too often we look for God in big things, big miracles. But the truth is, is that those really are not the things that will cause people to truly believe. I mean, we have the parting of the Red Sea story. We have you know, the resurrection. We have all kinds of things. Even Jesus himself said, even if someone were to rise from the dead, they would not believe. Because what happens even if we do get the miracle that we so desire? A month later, two months later, two years later. Yeah, we go back to what we know. Life becomes...